The Andy Griffin Show, the number one talk show in St. George, starring Andy Griffin. Welcome to the program, nine minutes after 9 a.m. I'm Andy. Thanks for tuning in today. It's a gorgeous Friday. Man, high today about 79, 80, low overnight uh, in the 50s. That is not bad at all. Now, uh, having said that, we do have a big cool down coming Sunday and Monday, and the high Monday is going to be like 50. So we're going to go from 80 to 50 in just a couple of days. Uh, so be ready for that. We might even get some precip, although I'm not going to. I'm not going to bet any money on that one. Uh, it's 10 minutes after nine. I thought we, it is open line Friday. We will be taking your calls. We'll also hear from Seth Stinson in, in a couple of minutes. But I thought it appropriate right now to uh, bring in uh, our favorite epidemiologist, Dr. Sue Jackson uh, from Utah Valley University. Sue, how are you today? I'm doing well, Andy. How are you? I'm doing all right, too. I appreciate you coming on the program today. We haven't heard from you for a couple of months. And, and to be honest, down here in southern Utah, it felt like uh, coronavirus was almost done. You know, I mean, we were down to single single uh, digits uh, as far as uh, positive test cases. Uh, almost no hospitalizations for, uh, you know, August and September were very good down here. But uh, we have a resurgence, and uh, that's why I thought it appropriate to bring you on here. Maybe you can explain to us what the heck's going on if you have a, if you have an idea, Sue. Yeah, it's a hard question to answer. I think there's a lot of factors that play here because we've seen on a national and even global uh, perspective where we really spiked in July, then we came back down, now we're spiking again. And there's a couple of reasons for that. I think that schools are in session. That's not helping us uh, to have kids together. Uh, And then I think the bigger issue that we've seen is Uh, that we just have a burnout with this pandemic. We are tired of it. We're ready for Mm -hmm. life to go back to normal. And so whether that means we're having football games with large crowds or parties or hanging out with friends, we're just ready to have normal life again. And I think that's what we're seeing right now is this uh, resurgence because people are getting back together with other people. And I know your specialty is in psychology and and, and that type of thing, but uh, I guess I I would ask you, is is that – is that necessarily bad? I know we've heard people in authority say we can't have the uh, cure be worse than the disease in the first place. So I guess I would ask you, so are we, are we, are we really bad in being tired of this and trying to get back to normal life? Yeah. So I don't pretend to be a psychologist, but I did minor in it twice. So oh, good, I will good. say <laughs> that uh, we, mental health is an important factor when we look at this. What is the mental health aspect of the pandemic? So I agree that we can't make, the solution be worse than the problem. And so I think the way that we have to look at this, I can't look at it as black and white. It is really a fuzzy issue of Mm. what people should be doing. And uh, there's a lot of blame and there's a lot of critiques on both sides. Uh, But really, we have to look at what's best for the individual, what's best for society um, on a population level as well. How do we protect the vulnerable people and yet still have a a normal state of life that's good for our mental health. We can't isolate for an entire year and expect that we're not going to see other ramifications from that, whether it be economic or psychological or otherwise. So we do have to have kind of this balancing act. One of the things I've talked about a lot lately is using and statements that rather than either or, it needs to be and. So mm. most people will not die from this disease. It's, you know, the fatality rate is getting lower and lower, especially in Utah, it's actually quite low. So you're not likely to die. And we have 220,000 Americans who have died from this. It's an and statement. It's Mm. not an either or. It's, It's the reality that both have to simultaneously exist. It's that kids need to be in school and we're putting teachers at risk. Uh, It's both. So 
I think we have to start to look at that mentality and say this is not an easy uh, easy situation for any of anyone to deal with, and there's not one right answer. That's, that's hard for us, though, because we want an either-or. We want a black and white. We want to say, okay, if we do this, then we get this. That's what we all want. And so when, when you talk about the and statement, I know I'm sitting here, I'm going, but, but that's not what I want to hear. I know, and it's hard for people. And I know that one thing that I've heard a lot up here is that people want to blame big events. And so, you know, it's the big parties that are happening. Utah County had uh, quite a little spike uh, a few weeks ago, and we're blaming the big parties. And, you know, I'm on the front lines at UVU. I'm looking at these cases as they come in. I'm counting cases and going back to the classrooms and looking for hot spots. And uh, what I see more often than, oh, I went to a party, I, I rarely see that. I actually see my roommate needed a ride, so I gave him a ride, and then he got sick the next day. I mean, that's the kind of behavior that we're seeing that's transmitting the disease. And so it would be much easier if we could say, oh, let's just stop having parties. But we also have to function. So you look at uh, my roommate needs a ride. Of course you're going to give your roommate a ride. I can completely understand that. I was a college student once mm-hmm. and understand college living. So it's really hard to tell people, no, don't see your boyfriend or, you know, we hang out with your roommate or see anyone in a social setting. And so that's hard for people to take, too, that this is not to be blamed on necessarily a big event. Those, though, those don't help as well. And um, we've seen a couple of mass spreader events. But uh, in general, it's just being transmitted person to person, people at home, people at work, a few uh, social interactions. What do you think, uh, how do you think, rather, the young people are handling this? And I'm talking about people, I'm talking about high school age and younger, maybe college age and younger. They've been asked to do some pretty hard things that I know when I was that age, I'd have been like, you want me to do what? Yeah, it's it's hard. And we've seen a lot of cases among that group uh, because they are socializing. And I think that they want to. I think, uh, you know, that's a hard question because there's a lot of people that want to buck the trend. They don't want to wear masks. They don't want to care. They want to hang out with their friends. And uh, so we talk about teenagers. You're going to talk about a rebellious time period anyway. And right now the rebellion is I'm going to have this big party with my friends and we're not going to wear a mask because we don't care about what these guidelines are. Um, At the college level, I see a lot of uh, just trying to be normal. They want to date. They want to socialize. Uh, I can't tell you how many cases I've seen at UVU of, well, my roommate's boyfriend uh, came over and then we found out his roommates had it. Because there's a lot of intermixing of, of uh, apartments that we don't really see more uh, as you get older. You know, we don't go household to household kind of the same way that they do it in a roommate setting. Uh, so I think that they are trying. Um, I'm not going to throw them under the bus and say that uh, they are the, the cause of the problem. Um, but, I, you know, they... It's hard on their perspective. I can absolutely see it because they're not really getting deathly ill with this. And so it's asking them to be more responsible for the older people in their lives, uh, which is uh, a little bit difficult in the here and now. Right. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's funny you were talking about that and and, and just popped into my head. My daughter has a, a, a Sadie Hawkins dance this weekend. She's going on, you know, now the tradition is you go on a group date on, on you know, during the day and then you go to the dance at night. And, and with all the things I worry about, you know, is, is it a nice guy? Is he going to be a gentleman? What's the curfew? Uh, you know, and things like that. It actually never occurred to me. Are you guys going to be careful about, you know, about COVID-19? It, it never crossed my mind. So I guess, it's, you know, I mean, you're not throwing the kids under the bus, but maybe us parents need a little refresher course, too, on, on what we should be uh, looking for. 
Yeah, and I would agree with that. What I saw here in Utah County, a lot of the schools canceled the dances. Yeah, so homecoming was canceled, and then the parents held them instead. And so, you know, parents said, we want these kids to have this experience, so we're going to throw a dance. And I'm sure some of them were very careful with spacing and outdoor events and masking. Uh, But anytime you're around another person who's not a household contact, in general, you increase your risk of disease. So when you look at putting a whole bunch of teenagers together, all of them intermixing and going back to other households, that's when we really look at the disease starting to surge is that kind of clustering of events where uh, they're all going to take it back home and then spread it to other people. We're talking with epidemiologist Dr. Sue Jackson. If you'd like to call and and, and chat with her uh, or have a question, 6735890 is the phone number, 6735890. Dr. Jackson, been a lot of talk about, uh, you know, vaccines, about uh, finding a a quote-unquote cure for COVID-19. From your perspective, uh, where are we at on this? are, Are we getting close? There are a couple of different possibilities, and I think that one of them will come through by maybe the end of the year, but early next year. But I want to be careful in saying that because we hear that a lot in you know, political season. We're hearing that a lot. Uh, that a vaccine is going to be available. But a vaccine being available and all of this ending are not going to happen simultaneous uh, in a simultaneous fashion. And they're first going to vaccinate uh, healthcare workers in emergency rooms. I just read the state's plan for this. It's going to be your Instacares and emergency rooms. And then we're going to wait to get the second shipment. And then we're going to be long-term care facilities and other medical professionals. I mean, by the time we get down to where the general public is being vaccinated, it's going to be months. You know, I'm not going to put a timeline on what that is. Um, At UVU, we're talking about will fall 2021 be normal. And I don't have an answer for that. I'm not guaranteed that we're going to be back to normal by fall 2021 because it's going to take a while to get a vaccine throughout all of America in kind of that tiered approach that they're going to try. And you know what, though? I like the tiered approach. I think it's a fantastic idea because haven't we been saying all along we need to protect the vulnerable? If we go with the tiered approach, we're going to protect the vulnerable first. That's that's a smart idea. Oh, it is. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that tiered approach. But the the reality is we're not going to have 330 million vaccines ready to go the day it's approved. And I think that that's the the disconnect that I see in a lot of people that say, Hmm. oh, we're going to have a vaccine by January. Let's go on vacation in February. (laughs) Uh, That's not the reality. It's going to take a long time to make that much of the vaccine and then to get it distributed and then to give have it uh, given out. I mean, when we look at the flu shot, we're in the middle of uh, flu shot season. And so, you know, I'll, I'll give a plug to go get your flu shot. Yeah. But how much time goes into the production of the flu shot and then the distribution so that they're ready to give them out in October? I mean, this is not something that they started yesterday working on. They've been working all year to have these flu shots ready. By the way, our, our, our whole function is still kind of screwy here on KDXU. So if you call and I don't answer right away, uh, please keep trying. We'd love to have you on the air at 673-5890. I know a couple of people called while we were chatting, Sue, and uh, we want to make sure and give them an opportunity to, to uh, ask questions. Uh, this virus, has it been like anything? And obviously the scope is, is bigger than anything we've had in 100 years. But has it been like any other disease as far as the behavior of the virus? And this is a weird one. I can't uh, say that it's 
it's similar to anything else. And part of the reason is because it's a severe coronavirus. So it is very similar to SARS and MERS, but we didn't see those. And so we don't have firsthand experience with those here in the United States. Uh, but it is a different pandemic than we've seen in the United States because we usually deal with influenza. So swine flu is an influenza. That's what we dealt with. But uh, no, it's not like anything we've seen. And the other thing that is interesting about this uh, virus is that it, it is an interest, like just a fascinating virus to look at. Um, and when I look at different viruses, because of the wide array of symptoms that people have, I mean, everything from the loss of smell and taste, which yeah. is kind of an abnormal symptom, to very severe respiratory symptoms, to gastrointestinal symptoms. I mean, it's all over the place. And then to have some people who are completely asymptomatic, some people who are hospitalized and dying from it. It's just kind of a wild little virus. Um, so, no, I've not seen anything like this. It is all over the place. I've heard it could cause heartburn or the, a stomach flu-type situation. As you mentioned, the, the loss of taste and smell. I think was it Rudy Gobert was saying that he, he that actually was long-term for him. It, months had gone by since he had it, and he was still struggling with the loss of taste and smell. Yeah, and we've seen the inflammatory disease in some people. We saw it in kids first, but we've seen it in adults where – some people post-COVID have had inflammatory uh, issues and heart issues because of the virus. I just don't think we really know. It's going to be a couple of years out before we really know the, the effects of the COVID virus and what it's done to the American population or the world, really, um, what it's done there in our systems. All right, let's, uh, let's go to the phone lines. Uh, caller, you're on with Andy and with Dr. Sue Jackson, epidemiologist. What's on your mind today? Good morning. Well, I'm, I was just wondering, I've been out and about, as most everyone else, and just seeing tons and tons of more traffic. I was wondering if the parks are drawing people um, to the area and bringing, uh, bringing some virus with them, and if we should keep the parks open. What do you, what do you think, Sue? Yeah, I do think that you're getting more traffic down there. I mean, it's getting cold up here. So, of course, we all want to go to St. George. That sounds lovely right now. As you're talking about 80 degrees today, it's yeah. not that warm up here. <laughs> um, but, you know, with fall break last week, I'm sure you had a ton of people down there uh, in the parks. Um, you know, in terms of the parks, it's it's hard because if they're actually in the park and they're spacing and they're hiking, uh, you yeah, know, that's a pretty low risk. When you start to gather people together at any point, that's going to be a higher risk and restaurants are going to be a higher risk. So it does put you in a precarious situation in that uh, the tourism money is probably desperately needed. And yet you've got to balance that with bringing disease into your community. So, again, it's that really complicated dynamic of how do we keep the businesses open and keep the hotels going and make sure our, our economic stability is okay. And at the same time, how do we um, you know, not have disease all throughout our, our society? So it's a hard one. I don't have a good answer for that. All right. Let's go back to uh, this is line three now. Caller, you're on with Andy and with Dr. Jackson. How are you? Um, I'm good. Good, good. What's so up? We, we know this came out of China and possibly a weapons laboratory. So what is the chances this is man-made? That's why we're having such a problem getting a handle on it. So from what I've seen in the research, um, they have said that that's not likely to be the case, that it is um, very closely related to the SARS virus. 
that we saw back in 2002 and 2003. I want to say it was something like 80% similar, um, and that they have traced it back to their zoonotic diseases, so animal origin diseases, um, traced it back to a bat, uh, and that the linking of the, when they've looked at the virus, they actually can see the zoonotic components. It does not appear to be laboratory made. Uh, We do get odd viruses here, and especially um, our our last several outbreaks have been these zoonotic diseases that are animal-borne. You know, as the population increases and we have more animals intermixing with humans, I think that that's the, what's likely to happen. That's what we've seen. So I don't put a lot of credit into a lab-made disease. Yeah, speaking of animals, you might get followed home by a mountain lion or something like that as well. So okay, you've got to be careful there. <laughs> All right, no more trail running. Let's go back to the phones. Caller, you're on with Andy with Dr. Jackson. How are you today? Good, Andy. Hey, Dr. Jackson, I have a question about herd immunity. Um, you know, we hear about that. It, it seems like to me that if we have 7 million people who've got this virus and 99% have survived it, wouldn't that be... I mean, in in a weird way, kind of a good thing that we'd have that many people that are now immune, or are they really not immune? Yeah, so there's two different questions in there. In terms of herd immunity, we've got to get to at least 60%, probably more likely 80% of the population who has had this in order to have true herd immunity and protect those who haven't had it. And we are nowhere close to that. And it scares me at the thought of herd immunity when we're at 220, I think it's 223,000 deaths in the United States right now. So if we tried to get to herd immunity, how many more people are going to die uh, because of it? Um, but um, the the second half of your question, um, remind me, what was that? It was... Well, are, are they actually immune? And I, I meant or are they immune? That's right. Herd- yeah. It's, it's the, well, are they immune? Sorry about seven, No, what I'm talking about with the 7 million, though, is like unintentional. They, not like we're out trying to get the virus, but those people who get it and survive, if they have immunity, isn't that kind of a group of people that that's that's a good thing yeah so what i was going to say on immunity is that we're not certain how long the immunity lasts and so they've said three Uh months they kind of give you three months that we're sure you likely have immunity and beyond that we're not really sure i have been um I have been comforted that I haven't seen a lot of repeat cases, and they're still trying to confirm repeat cases. It's really tricky because some people can test positive for three to six months. And so is it a repeat Mm. case or is it still the original case? Um, But they are looking at the vaccine, actually holding immunity to the vaccine much longer than you would hold the immunity to the virus itself, uh, which would be a good sign. But they're still saying that it would likely be a series of boosters in a vaccine or that we may have to do every six months for a vaccine or a yearly vaccine like the flu. So in terms of holding on to immunity, my fear is that by the time we get to the end of herd immunity, which would be years out at this point, at the rate we're going, and all those deaths and then the people who got it in the the first round will now be reinfected, and we're just going to keep cycling through that. All right. The vaccine is going to be much more effective. Yes, the vaccine should be more effective from what I've read at holding that immunity. Very good. Let's uh, go to line four. Caller, you're on with Andy and with Dr. Jackson. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. How are you folks this morning? Great, thank you. Good. Uh, question I've got is from personal family experience and also what's been in the news quite a bit lately. There's still a very significant false positive rate out there. 
But I never hear any uh, talk about adjustments being made to these numbers, particularly with Governor Herbert and others. Uh, they just seem to chalk them all up as good and, and never make that adjustment. And if we've got a 10 or 15 percent false positive rate, we really ought to be knocking all of these numbers down by that amount. And I wonder if our uh, guest here has any comments on that. Yeah, so there is. So it depends on the test. Some of them are more likely to have a false positive. Um, there's some that are more likely to have a false negative. So like the Abbott, Abbott rapid test that's being done more as an antigen test, it has a higher false, uh, false negative rate. So you're more likely to have it and not know it. Uh, but in terms of the numbers, one of the things that I loved uh, uh, coming out of the CDC this week was when they looked at how many deaths are we above where we should be for this time of year. So we look at you know, the annual deaths every year and where are we respective to where we should be. And the number that they came out with was just shy of 300,000. 300,000 deaths over where we were last year at this time or where we would expect to be here in 2020. So I think that that answers some of the question of there may be uh, fewer cases than what we're noting. But in terms of the deaths, I feel like that the deaths are fairly accurately counted. If anything, they're probably underreported because we're showing 223,000 deaths um, in America due to COVID. And we're in an excess of 300,000 deaths. And some of those are going to be people who had heart attacks and didn't want to get medical care because of COVID. So it's indirectly related. Uh, but at the same time, we are seeing an increase in deaths than what we would normally see. So I actually okay, feel well, pretty good about the numbers. Thank you. Uh, you did. You just kind of touched on something there about uh, deaths not actually due to COVID. Somebody, somebody said yesterday that uh, the CDC themselves had said that the, the actual deaths from COVID uh, we're at about 6% of what they've attributed to COVID. In other words, I mean, that's nothing. That's less than 1 in 10 dying from COVID. The all, all of the others had comorbidity problems and, and could have or probably would have died anyway. Uh, I'm going to hang up now, but if, if you have any comments about that, yeah. I would love to hear them. Yeah, um, and that's one thing that's been misconstrued so often is the 6% from the CDC. What they're saying is 6% of people had no comorbidities at all. But if you look at Americans in general, most Americans have comorbidities. Mm -hmm. And so my favorite analogy there is to say, you know, if somebody uh, you know, died in the Titanic and they had diabetes, did they drown or did they die of diabetes? Hmm. Yeah, you know, they it's it's the same idea. And that's where I love this number that just came out from the CDC of 300,000, because I think it shows that. OK, so they may have been obese, but they weren't going to die this year, according to statistics, or they may have had other chronic health conditions. Uh, so I don't think we can dismiss it and say, oh, well, they would have died anyway, uh, because I think that that's uh, losing the humanity aspect that we have lost 300,000 people more than we would have. In a year, that's a shocking number in America. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's uh, let's take another call before we go to weather break. Caller, you're on with Andy and with Dr. Sue Jackson, epidemiologist. What's on your mind? Hi. Uh, I'm just so tired of hearing these uh, so-called experts coming out when, and with all this fear-mongering stuff. And it's just repeating the same old stuff that we've already found that's been proven false, just like she discounts the whole CDC thing where only 6% of the people that have, uh, only 6% of the people that they've counted out of these so-called 300,000 died of anything, died of only coronavirus. And she's, all most Americans have comorbidities. Um, fault. Most Americans do not, are not on death's door. Most of the, the death rate for this so-called virus is, 
the death age is higher than the average death age. So we're talking about uh, a lot of misinformation, whereas a lot of epidemiologists and top experts have been coming out this whole time uh, disputing all this stuff that she's saying and saying this is unnecessary. For example, like the mask thing, they're totally worthless and cause infection. And it's just, I, I hope that these, and these are people that are supposedly uh, making, going around making us feel guilty about just living our lives, spreading this, uh, spreading this as if there's a pandemic going on. I think most people who've done any research at all know that there is not anything unusual going on here. There's almost uh, anybody, hardly anybody's dying of the flu. I wonder why. Actually, they just came out with the statistics. Less people have died this year than last year. So why don't we, you know, maybe tomorrow you might want to have somebody on the radio, more like Brian Hyde, who's, who's <laughs> dealing in reality here. All right. Thanks for the call. Dr. Jackson, your reaction? Um, yeah, and I would refute that. Uh, most Americans do have a comorbidity. And if you look at obesity, we have 70% of Americans who are overweight or obese. So I don't even have to go to heart disease or cancer or any other disease. But I think that in terms of, yes, the average age is high. But that doesn't mean that they were going to die this year. Uh, just because they're dying in their 70s. I mean, these are people's mothers, their grandmothers, their family members. And so to say that, oh, they would have died anyway, is pretty callous uh, response. I realize a lot of people have a lot of passion um, about this topic. And I think that it's really, um, it's disheartening to see on social media, to see people who want to jump in and say, these are the only facts and this is the only perspective. So, you know, the only thing I can say is I have a Ph.D. in public health. I do this for a living. I teach epidemiology. And, you know, she's welcome to her opinion. But I do believe that masks are saving people's lives. I think we've seen that. We've seen the research. We've seen it in other countries. And so I agree that I would like us to get back to normal. It would be great to be back to normal. And uh, we have to balance that mental health with the disease. But I don't think we can dismiss the disease uh, and say that this isn't happening when we see it all around us. We uh, if you haven't seen someone with COVID or known someone who's died of COVID, you likely will. I mean, it's getting closer and closer to home here. All right. She's Dr. Sue Jackson. One thing I think you said early on in our conversation was this is a disease like the, we've never seen before because it's so varied and so different and so all, all over the place, Sue. And I, I think that's a pretty good perspective for all of us to take is, uh, you know, COVID-19 is just something that we've never really seen and, uh, and we're figuring it out as we go, right? Right. And I don't um, I don't think it's necessarily to be feared, but I also think we need to respect disease just in general, that it does have the power to take lives and take them quickly. So this is an interesting disease and you're not likely to die from it, but it is possible that you could pass it to somebody who would. Awesome. She's Sue Jackson. Thank you, Dr. Jackson. Always well spoken and well said. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Andy. Welcome back to the Andy Griffin Show, 939 on KDXU. A reminder, uh, we'll uh, continue looking at our candidates next week on Monday. Uh, School board, Becky Dunn and Sadie Lee Pulsifer will be on the program uh, and uh, in the the first half of the program. Second half of the program, we will have uh, Craig Segmiller and Larry Myers. Uh, uh, Let's see, that's a local school board seat one and seat two. And then on Wednesday, there are actually three candidates left for the seat three. It'll be uh, Daniel Nielsen, Terry Hutchinson, and Dave Shaw on the program scheduled for Wednesday as we continue to get you ready for your uh, ballot and and your vote. Uh, I know a lot of people have already voted. 
I have not. I'm hanging on to mine. My wife filled hers out already. She didn't want to hear the rest of the candidates, I guess. But I'm hanging on to mine uh, until we've heard from everyone after a Wednesday. Uh, it is, uh, yeah, time for Seth's Corner. Seth Stinson on the line with us today. Seth, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm perfect. And, perfect. Uh, Whoa. Thank you for the opportunity to speak today. My pleasure. To... I, I, didn't, I, I didn't know you were perfect, though. That's really good, Seth. Well, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, too. That's good. So um, I would like to talk briefly, as quickly as I possibly can, about uh, what happened to you on the day you were born. Do you remember being born? I do not. Huh. Guess what the doctor did to your eyes as soon as he could get to it? Mm, I don't know. He probably put some drops in my eyes, maybe? They do. And okay. what were the drops made out of? I have no idea. Silver nitrate. Really? Mm-hmm. And they put it in there because silver nitrate and silver nanoparticles have the ability to destroy all diseases on contact, and they never develop immunity toward silver. I did not know that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So silver is the subject, and... Uh, um, I had a little mishap. Uh, they were cutting my toenails to VA, and they cut a little too close, and there was a lot of blood coming out. And uh, the uh, nurse grabbed a swab or a Q-tip kind of thing and put it on there, and it stopped the bleeding immediately, and it was silver nitrate. Oh, there we are again, huh? From your eyes so, to your toes, 70-something 70, 70 years apart, huh? Yeah, well, and, and it's unbelievable, the things that silver does. And uh, if you've got COVID, and we're talking about mass immunity, if the COVID is giving you lung troubles or, or whatever, you can inhale it and you can use it uh, in a thousand different ways in the human body. And medicine is one of the biggest consumers of silver. I, I, okay. You're educating me. I didn't know that. Well, um, it also is a key ingredient as a catalyst in almost every plastic. And so if you're holding a plastic phone that come, it would be normally liquid in the presence of silver, it becomes solid so that you can hold the phone. Okay. All right. And so every plastic thing that's made out of ethylene oxide has to go through a silver filter to become solid. And so practically everything we can think of, and I'm going to go through these really quickly. Solar panels use tons of silver. Electronics uses silver solder. So anything that's electronic is dependent upon silver. Silver brazing, silver soldering, medical things we just talked about. In the cars, uh, it, uh, just uh, I, I'm not sure if this is in America or not, but 60 million ounces go into your car. Really? Uh-huh. And so uh, you wouldn't be driving. Um, you wouldn't be able to drink water because it's a key ingredient in water purification because a few drops in a quart of water will sterilize that water. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Photography, we all know that back in the day when they used film, Mm-hmm. that it was made out of silver because silver reacts in the presence of light. Right. Okay. Bearings in jet aircraft are coated with silver, 
and it's the only thing that can take the extreme uh, temperatures, so you really couldn't fly in a jet airplane without silver-coated bearings. And your batteries that you put in and all the uh, battery applications require silver. And in the long run, if you don't have silver on hand, for all of the reasons I've just mentioned, if it were all to disappear, silver and everything silver does, uh, it does like uh, 13,000 applications. You can go on to silverinstitute.org, and you could spend a day there reading what it does. If it were gone, we'd be back to 1850 as far as technology. Now, how did we how did we discover that silver had all these amazing properties? Because uh, the average layperson is going to say, "Ah, oh, now silver that's the, that's the thing that you know preppers uh, hoard so that they'll have you know something to to buy things with when the you know when the Holocaust comes." That that's kind of what pretty much everyone thinks of silver or, or fancy silverware. Oh yes, fancy silverware. I eat off of silverware constantly, every day, every meal, every bite because I know what it does, and King Henry VIII and all the royalty, going back to Pharaoh, when they first discovered that, he would put silver coins in his drink. And if you picked the silver coin up and it was blue or purple or green, it meant somebody had poisoned him. Uh-huh. And so he, many of the royalty, survived the, the black plagues and all of that kind of thing because they did consume silver, and the elite families on this planet still do. Nice. So uh, in, in the long run, um, oh, by the way, they would also tape silver coins to infected portions like um, boils and things that would come up on the skin, and miraculously, it would uh, relieve or cure that thing. So I cut my toe last night. Should I have uh, found some silver? Um, well, it, it, if you're concerned about infection, yes, I on cuts and stuff. And, of course, you've got to be really careful that, that uh, you don't get tomaine or tolio. Hmm. Okay. That's a joke. Yeah, yeah, tolio. I got it. <laughs> yeah, okay. So... Um, uh, now, you turn on TV on Fox, I don't know about the other stations, and Lear Silver is talking about all these applications, but they do it in about a second. Yeah. They show you pictures and say, hey, and, and the conclusion there is that gold, for instance, is going to outperform stocks. Okay, yeah, and we're running out of time. Uh, wrap wrap yeah, it up, yeah, Seth. I'm, I'm at the conclusion. Okay. Um, and... Uh, Silver is going to outperform gold. In fact, because of the applications I've just mentioned, silver is going to be more valuable than gold. Maybe I better pick some up, huh? Yeah. Uh, Pick up as many as you can get. And by the way, the wage back at Christ time, if you worked sun up to sundown doing the hardest parts possible work, military, whatever, your wage was a silver dime. Mm. And I tend to think that might be the reality of our future. Mm. I hope you're wrong, but uh, I I can see your point. Thank you, Seth. Great to talk to you today. You bet. Thank you. It is uh, 948 on KDXU. I want to thank Joe Shoney. He is a local loan consultant, and his specialty is making sure you are taken care of as a customer. 
uh, you know, Joe will take care of any kind of loan you can think of, uh, whether it's a home equity line or whether you need a refi or just a home loan, or FHA, whatever it is, Joe will uh, take care of you. Uh, in fact, he puts himself out there. Uh, the reviews on the New American Funding website, it's socialsurvey.me website. Just search on Joe Shoney there. You'll see that he has 457 reviews, and his average is an amazing 4.91 stars. Here's the latest one. This is from Seskia. said, Joe and his team had to make up time due to another agent dropping the ball. Thank goodness we are seasoned buyers, but with Joe's help, we were able to get everything submitted to underwriting and close on time. Couldn't have done that if we didn't have Joe on our side. Five stars. That's how they all are. Joe Shoney. Local loan consultant. His phone number is 435-590-6300. He'll keep you in the loops. Welcome back to the program. Still got open lines going for the next eight or eight minutes or so. Love to hear from you. 6735890. What's uh, your thought on the debate last night? I know we spent a lot of time on the show already on the uh, on the uh, coronavirus and uh, thanks to Dr. Sue Jackson for coming on. I, I've always said and I've told Sue this to her face. I said, you know, you guys, you epidemiologists, are are paid to give us the worst case scenario. Unfortunately, a lot of people take those worst case scenarios, and maybe it's the way you're presented, and uh, they take that as reality. And uh, you know, Sue Sue will will paint the worst case scenario. But I do like the fact that she has some psychology background, and I thought she did a nice job of explaining that uh, you know locking things down is not the answer, and that there are going to be long term effects from things like making our you know seven year olds wear face masks. There's, there's going to be long term effects. Uh, we do not want to make the cure worse than the disease. All right, let's go to the phone lines. Caller, you're on with Andy this morning. What's on your mind? You there? Uh, not hearing you. All my buttons are pushed. Are you there? One more try here. Nope, they're not not getting any sound from them. So we'll let, we'll keep moving. Uh, let's go. Yeah, line three. Caller, you're on with Andy this morning. What's on your mind? Morning, Andy. Morning. Instead of talking about the president, I think he kicked butt last night. Uh-huh. Got Joe, Joe to espouse some of his plans for the country, which are dang scary. <laughs> so let's go back to the local guys. You've had a bunch on this week. Uh-huh. Well, I found one thing in common with the Democrat ones. Let's raise taxes. We need to give the schools more money. Uh-huh. They all said that, didn't they? Yes, they did. <laughs> Didn't really come up with any good ideas, but raising our property taxes to foot the bill. And then the last thing, if you flip over your ballot, you said your wife filled hers out. She Where did. Where did she get information on all these amendments to the state constitution? She what went. We we. Yeah, we Googled it. We found a couple of articles from a couple of different publications about the amendments, uh, which. One of the articles I found really helpful because it, it explained what it was, and then they took an opinion, and, and the, so they kind of separated. So you could read about it, and then you could ignore their opinion if you want to. If you want to ignore their opinion, I think that one was on sltrib.com. Not sure. Uh, but the other article was a lot more biased. I felt like so, but we found two articles on the amendments, and we're able to uh, educate ourselves a little bit, a little bit more about those. All right. Thanks, Andy. You bet. Thanks for calling. All right, uh, this caller is the one that tried earlier. We couldn't get any audio from him. Yeah, caller, you're on with Andy. What's up this morning? Uh, hi, Andy. Uh, I'm sorry I had my uh, car phone, my, um, Wi-Fi on. Anyway, uh, I listened to the epidemiologist that you uh, had on earlier, and I, I had a question for her, and again, she has to ask her. 
I uh, have two people I know that were uh, diagnosed with uh, conditions that ended their life, but they had COVID tests uh, within a day or two of their death. One died of uh, pulmonary fibrosis, which is a terminal illness. Another died of a neurological problem, but both had negative COVID tests within two days of their death, mm-hmm. and both patients were listed as COVID deaths. Wow. And the reason that hospitals do this is because if someone has COVID, then there's an assumption that the uh, they had the, the special masks and all the procedures had to be done that were more complicated inspect- and, uh, and uh, difficult. And so they give them a 20% or so uh, increase in their reimbursement for the uh, COVID diagnosis. And so my suspicion is, because I'm sure these aren't the only two people in the world that this has happened to, that I think that a lot of these COVID deaths are not real COVID deaths. They're listing them as COVID deaths, but they're not. Any, there's nothing to do with COVID, and a lot of them are phony because hospitals do this because they get a better reimbursement. That's one thing I wanted to say. Okay. And the second thing, uh, this is you can comment on it after I make my second point. The second point I had, and I wanted your take on this, I listened to the debate last night, and I was very, and I am very concerned that Joe Biden is so compromised because of his business dealings with his son around the world, and he's been selling America out for years, Yeah. that he uh, would have a serious conflict of interest when dealing with people like the Chinese, which are chief competitors in the world. They're not good actors. And uh, this guy, the the evidence is mounting and it's strong that he and his son have been uh, double dealing with the United States because they've used his his position as vice president to gain uh, access and and so forth with these foreign governments. And they're being paid off by the foreign government. So I'd like your opinion about that. As far as the other, the first thing, I don't know if there's an opinion you would have, but that's something that I think is out there. And I'm not saying that people aren't dying of COVID, but I'm just not sure that the number that they're listing is a real number. Okay. Well, as far as the first part, I have heard similar stories and you could you know, make an argument, well, it's anecdotal. It just happened every once in a while. But to me, it comes down to what you were saying, that incentive and it, isn't it sad, but doesn't it always seem to come down to money? Uh, if, you, you know, if you're a hospital, and, and I'm not saying that's happening, happening locally, I don't know, but if you're a hospital administrator, accountant, bean counter, whatever, and you say, hey, if I check this little box right here, that means my hospital gets 3000 4000 7000 more more dollars of aid from the government, then uh, you know, why, why not check the box, right? That, that, yes, and that's sad that it that it comes down to it. As far as the debate last night, uh, my wife's a little mad at me because she kept falling asleep during the debate, and about every two three minutes, I would yell at the television because I cannot believe that uh, this this guy, this Biden, his his. I'm doing it again. I'm getting frustrated. Joe Biden. He actually told the truth once. He said, I haven't accepted any money from foreign countries. He doesn't have to. He funnels it through his brothers and through his sons, and then he gets a kickback from them. And this is all pretty, pretty well documented, and yet, uh, you know, they're, they're going to cry. You know, the Democrats are going to cry. The, the liberals are going to cry. Well, it's, it's just like our investigation of Trump. There's a, it's a big cover-up, and, you know, the Russians are involved. And 
And I just, I can't believe it. To me, Joe Biden is the Don. He is the mob boss of the Biden family. And you know what? He doesn't get money from the other countries. He gets money from the people that get the money from the other countries. That's my take on that. Well, thank you, because I agree with you completely. And I'm concerned that if he is actually be, becomes our president, he could be indicted. Yeah, he could be a could be a, a defendant in a criminal action because what he has done is I don't know if it's illegal. I think it probably is illegal. I'm sure there's some federal laws that uh, he is uh, is uh, askew with because of what he's done. But he would be under a dark cloud. He talked about a dark winter in the United States, but we, he would be under, and the country would be under a dark cloud. If our president is a, is a criminal, yeah, yeah, and, and then Kamala Harris would be president. Heaven forbid! Oh my goodness! Thanks for the call today. Appreciate it. Thank you, Andy. You know, uh, there was a movie uh, years ago. Harrison Ford was uh, Jack Ryan in Patriot Games. I don't know if you remember that movie, but uh, he discovered some corruption uh, in the Oval Office, and uh, they called him in toward the end of the movie after he did survived this jungle. You know, I mean, the whole thing was he was in South America, and they found out that the president. It's a long story, but basically, there was corruption in the White House. And the president called him in for a one-on-one in the Oval Office, and he brought Harrison Ford in, the character Jack Ryan, in, and he said, "Hey, Jack, you know, guess what? You got a chip in the big game now. So you, you know, you're, you're here, and you've got yourself a, a seat at the table, a chip in the big poker game, and uh, you just need to hang on to that chip. And uh, you hang on to that chip, and, and everything's going to be okay. And when you need it the most, you can play that chip." And, you know what Harrison Ford, well, Jack Ryan said to the president, he said, sorry, president, I don't play games. And then he testified in front of the Senate committee and the president was indicted. <sighs> I hate those games. 